if you never take the chance, you'll never know what it could be. And if you take the chance and it doesn't work, you're not down and out. You're not done. You're not over. You simply go back to where you were before you took the chance. And that little, little piece is really the one that pushed me over the edge to say, huh, it's actually okay to um, take a chance here and see what happens, especially if it's something you believe in. Trusted and proven, pushing the limits on every shot. We never fear failure. Join us as we set ourselves against the odds, bringing you cutting edge voices in every industry. This is the Ironclad Podcast. Welcome to the Ironclad Podcast. We are so pumped today to have Aaron Hennings, co-founder of Stance Socks. Now, Stance is a brand that has transcended just socks. They do underwear, they do shirts. They're the official sock of the MLB, they've been the official sock of the NBA, and ultimately a lifestyle brand. We get a ton of insight from Aaron, uh, just an inspirational guy, great story, and a ton of life lessons that we can take and apply to making our creative visions come to life. Enjoy our conversation with Aaron Hennings. What, one of the coolest things that I've seen is just the evolution that you've had. You know, my background is action sports. Um, yeah. So seeing what you guys have done coming from action sports and evolving into the mainstream markets has been a pretty incredible thing for me to watch and just inspire me and get my wheels turning on how you do it. Was that always the vision for you guys to go big like that, or was it to be niche and, and fulfill that small um, market share that you saw? Yeah, I think the, the idea was to be as, as big as possible, you know, within reason or within a time frame. But I think it was more about an understanding that action sports is a nice starting point, but it's not the ending point. And for the brand, there was a lot that had to happen in the skate market, in the surf market, endearing ourselves to snowboarding and making sure we have that all um, taken care of. And then it would be able to branch out into other areas. And, you know, there was a, a bit of an interesting proposition to be able to cross pollinate uh, some of our product ideas and even some of our marketing ideas across those, those different lifestyle areas. And so the idea I think was to start with what we knew and, start with uh, the wholesalers that we knew and the accounts we knew and sort of the business that was second nature to us. And then as we grew, the idea was to always have Stance be a platform for the things we loved. And so it wasn't uh, a single lifestyle or a single sport that we focused on, but it was more of a platform for more of a, a broader approach, I think. Yeah, because uh, your background, you were with Billabong prior to that, correct? Yeah, I did 10 years as an art director and creative director on product there. And when you were doing that, did you always know you wanted to go somewhere bigger than that or do something bigger than that? Uh, you know, not necessarily. At the, at the time, DeLong was the right, uh, perfect fit for me based on where the company was and my background, my passions, my interests. And, you know, we had a good thing there, great run uh, in the early 2000s, just the way the industry was shaping up and the way the athletes were shaping up. And it was a really nice fit. I think towards the end, it was just a realization that there, you know, there's more out there and there's an entrepreneurial part of me and a bit of a DIY spirit in me that was exposed to the idea of building something for myself, uh, with my partners and, uh, 
having the chance to create or invent a brand from scratch was interesting to me as a, as a creative. Yeah, that's cool. I think uh, as entrepreneurs, at least in my head, like I never really doubt is it going to happen. I just kind of uh, have to put together when it will happen, um, some of these goals. Jumping from being 10 years in big corporate to entrepreneurship, what was that transition like? Did you have to switch some mindset stuff or do you have to learn any hard lessons? Yeah, that was uh, that's a common question. That comes up a lot. That was the first time in my life I had been faced with that. I came to Billabong uh, right out of college and I had actually worked with them independently in some freelance work prior. I'd started with Billabong when I was 16. So I kind of did that as a side hustle hobby, you know, getting my fingers wet as a as a creative and learning the ins and outs of the industry. And then uh, did some school and then went right into Billabong. And so I had never really been at a crossroads at a career, you know? Right. And so personally, it was a bit of a mindset that said, hey, there's an opportunity here. The stars don't always align like this. You know, through the years, there's always ideas and projects and side hustles and things that come up. But to, to jump at them 100% or to switch full time, there was always, you know, one or two components that were amiss. Maybe it was a great idea, but it didn't have the financing behind it. Or maybe the team was fantastic, but the actual business model wasn't that great. So the stance, it was the first time that everything aligned. And luckily, I was aware enough to see that it checked all the boxes and made me think, you know, if there's ever a startup that's going to work, stance could be it. So uh, these opportunities don't come around that often. So this is a good one to jump on. And it was a moment also it was a bit of a realization uh, for me when, you know, I realized, hey, there's always risk in jumping off on your own and starting something new. And there's no guarantees that anything's going to work. You could have all you could check all the boxes you can have the right team and the financing, the product and everything's right, but anything can happen along the way. So there's never a guarantee. I had to realize that but there was a moment when I just thought, you know, even if this doesn't work, I can still go back to what I was doing prior, maybe not with Billabong, but you know, with a, a similar company, similar job, similar right. pay scale. And so you, we thought, well, Let's, let's give it two years, and if we're that far along at that moment in time, we're going to know if the company's going to work or not. We're going to be able to prove our theory or not, and if it works, great, and if not, we'll just go back to what we were doing. So when you look at it from that point of view, uh, it didn't seem as scary or as risky, and there was something nice about kind of taking your future into your own hands. Uh, there was something nice about being able to apply a, a nice DIY attitude um, and and try and try and build something from scratch. And that was interesting to me. You know, Billabong at the time was was big and it was powerful and it was fun and there was a lot going on, but it still had, you know, a level of corporate structure where at the time, you know, I wasn't near the top and I don't I don't even know if I was on the, the track to be at the top. Um, and so being able to be a partner in a business was attractive from a business point of view. And then I was able to layer in all my uh, just sense of creativity and brand building and, and create something for ourselves. So that was attractive. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Was, did it take the two years 
that trial run or did it, did you guys start seeing momentum prior to that? Uh, I think, I think we saw momentum early. And so that was a good indicator. Um, you know, the first, first kind of financial model said, Hey, we've got a two year runway with some venture capital. And if everything models out, we'll be good. If it doesn't, you know, we'll have to do something else. So we kind of used two, two years as a, as a benchmark to say, we either got to prove this concept for this brand and get to a certain revenue point or not. And then we'll decide where we're at from there, but it's at least going to take two years to get started. After that transition, what do you think uh, was one of the biggest like eye openers to entrepreneurship? Once you uh, go from 10 years of corporate to this, was there anything that was like, damn, that was, this is real. Yeah. You know, I think the, the biggest eye opener to me or something I didn't quite anticipate was the pace of growth and the need to just create operational infrastructure within the company at a pace that matched what we were trying to do and where we were going. And that's a combination of hiring people and teams and putting things together, uh, putting internal processes in place, being able to capitalize on the talent that we were able to attract. So I didn't really see that part of it coming. You know, it, there, there was a while, a couple of years where every day it was just staring us in the face and all the all the love for the creative side of the business was semi put on hold where it was just about interviewing and hiring and putting people in place and trying to maintain a company culture that matched the original founding vision. And, you know, we really had a desire to keep the company uh, culturally aligned with the founding vision even if it was three, five, 10 years in. So, uh, that's, that's quite a challenge. Yeah. I think, uh, just from an outsider watching the, the, the fact that you are able to keep that culture and even some of the, the action sports mindset and lifestyle and, and design flair, when you battle these corporate giants for market share, where do you find those balances? Have you had to have those, um, those meetings? How do you keep accountability on that oh geez well that's yeah probably one of the one of the biggest challenges uh there was just a realization you know that we were we were different we were young small hungry but going somewhere and at different moments along the way we would you know get the attention of some of the competitors some of the giants other times they didn't know we existed or they didn't care so we tried to kind of capitalize on the fact that we were young and small and nimble while we could, uh, knowing that maybe if we, you know, if we got large enough, fast enough, we would probably attract more attention and therefore more competition and just more awareness, whether it was for market share or product ideas or, or space on the shelf or contracts with athletes. There's just a lot that goes along with being small one day and larger the next. Um, so, you know, I think it was just, a just a continual battle. Some, some things we won, some things we lost, but it was a fun challenge along the way. A very, very David and Goliath situation where I think we all came from larger companies. So we sort of knew what the perspective was and how those type of larger companies thought, but we were unique because now we were the, the little guy, um, you know, trying to fight the giant. You <laughs> use the analogy where the big companies are like, you know, riding, you have a job there, you're, you're working in marketing or product or design for the big guys, and you're kind of like uh, sitting in the Cadillac, cruising down the street, real real cush and, and fat, 
And then if you're a startup, you're like the guy riding a bike naked down the street, fully exposed. And, you know, there's, there's pros and cons yeah. to, to both of those situations, but it was very different. Yeah, it kind of gives you that ability to sneak up on them, too. Yeah, yeah, it can, for sure. Um, so when you transition into those big negotiations, did you guys have to implement any type of new training? Or when you go into, like, you go from owning the action sports market and then you go into some of these major leagues and you're going against the Nikes and the Reeboks of the world. Mm-hmm. How do you prep for that? Do you add on to your team? Do you add to your skill set? I'm really interested on how you guys evolve, especially so quickly. Yeah. I think it was how we built our team to address those business development situations. So we were able to pull together an incredible crew and people that were experienced in some of those realms uh, that had done deals with the sports leagues before and were versed in that, that circle. You know, I personally, it wasn't necessarily my experience set. So I wasn't the one at the table doing those type of negotiations, but we would pull in the people that had done that and they were, you know, familiar with, uh, people making the deal on the other side of the table, uh, all the type of terms, the type of budget it would take, and really just the the, the steering of the company, even the way the, the brand was perceived, to be able to be attractive to some of those larger entities. So it was it was methodical in how we stacked our team to be able to go after that new business later on in the cycle of the company. Yeah, that's great, man. Uh, once again, it's just been so cool to see the transition from action sports to to big market. And with that said, do you think you get a an edge coming from action sports? Uh, and if so, what do you think that is? I think there's an edge that, yeah, it's probably real that in, from an action sports point of view that there there is a sense of having your ear to the ground at all times, being able to identify up and coming talent up-and-coming movements, trends. That's sort of where that industry has always sat. Uh, some of the bigger guys are, as you would expect, a little slower to react, a little caught up in their own bureaucracy, of the, either of their own company or of their industries, and just a, just a bit slower. I think anytime there's larger stakes, things go slower, right? So uh, we were able to just apply some of our street savviness, some of our expertise into the larger field. And at the time, I think some of those entities were also looking for something new and different and young and fresh and maybe a little bit quicker to market. And so uh, in some instances, there was a bit of flattery where some of the larger guys wanted to partner with us and wanted to work with us, whether it was a collaboration or an athlete or a lot of, a lot of times somebody would just say, Hey, I just want to be involved in something where the brand listens to me or I can you know, have, have my creative point of view put on something rather than just being wrapped up in contracts and managers and sort of, sort of being a, a, a puppet to some of the larger machine. And so Stance was a bit of a refreshment for both brands, companies, and individuals that, you know, wanted to do something fun and creative and work in a category that they hadn't really been a part of before because a, a SOC company like that hadn't existed until then. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you have had some incredible collaborations. So when I see those too, I, I just get fired up. Um, how do you find them? Are, are these, like you said, some of them come to you. Are you guys having roundtable meetings? Are you making, uh, writing your dream boards, writing your dream people you want to collaborate on the board and then you seek them? Yeah. yeah a combination of all that. Um, 
first, you know, as a, as a growing brand, it was what is, what's right for the brand first and how do we present a, a project as a win-win for both parties, whether we can gain a little bit of exposure by partnering with the right brand and having, you know, some adjacency there where our young fledgling brand can be uplifted. That was part of it. Then it was, hey, who's got the creative chops that, you know, matches our ethos that we want to partner with? You know, who do we see as a reflection of ourselves? And when you're establishing yourself as your, as a brand, you don't necessarily, you may have that in your mind, but the, the public doesn't understand that because you haven't projected it yet. So some of it was who can we partner with and work with that will uh, be a reflection of ourselves and how we use the partnership to build our brand. And then, you know, later on it, it goes a little more to which partnerships or collaborations are large enough uh, to help us get some more mind share, more eyeballs on our, our brand. Um, because the growth needs to come from new customers. We, you know, we had we have a loyal fan base and repeat purchases and we have all that, but a lot of the growth came from new eyes and new eyeballs. And so when we got into some of the sports leagues and the dealings with the athletes, just by nature, it's a larger audience. And so it was strategic to say, we're going to be a little more niche in the beginning and a little smaller and a little more core. And then as we grow, we're going to capture a few more eyeballs along the way and present a compelling product offering for that crowd um, that has a little bit of the stance ethos built in, but then a little bit tailored to their world as well. Yeah. Um, with that said, as you grow, as you grow your audience, and I notice this, and I'm sure you guys do, I, I, this is kind of uh, a multi-phase question here. You know, I go through, whether it's at Target or whether it's at a, a big box store or whether it's at an action sports store, you see other guys that have taken clear inspiration from you. You've really defined a market now, even from logo yeah. placement on the socks to different designs. How does that make you feel as an entrepreneur and as a competitor? Yeah, there's, uh, there's something nice in the beginning about being able to invent and create all that. And that sort of speaks to me personally of what I was interested in and the idea of just reshaping a, a sleepy category was, you know, that's inspiring to see what you can come up with. In a way, it doesn't necessarily matter what type of widget or product it is. If there's room for invention and room for creation, that's what in, was interesting to me personally. And then, you know, the idea that maybe a category has been woken up and revolutionized, that's, that's inspiring to me. When I see other brands and competitors, you know, I think we we knew it would happen. There's just a pattern there. Anytime something happens, whether it's water bottles or bicycles or footwear, you know, things sort of, they're all derivative of each other, right? But it, it just takes somebody uh, in the beginning to have the courage or have the, the willpower to, to, to plant a flag and show what it is. And that was one of the biggest challenges was really to create uh a brand and a company around socks only in the beginning because that hadn't necessarily been done before. Uh, and then, you know, when you see it out there, there's, yeah, there's a bit of, um, there's a bit of flattery that goes on, but I think more than anything, there's also just an inspiration to be able to keep reinventing and not say, Oh, we've, we've done it and that's all we can do, but it's to continually uh, improve and be better and, 
stay one step ahead, really, because that's all you can do. You know, the categories actually, there's not a lot of uh, barrier to entry to build build socks as a product. Building a brand is a different thing. And building an entire company around a category and owning the mind share of, uh, you know, equating socks with a single company like Stance, you know, that's a much more difficult proposition. Um, but when you see people out there, you just got to realize, Hey, it's always going to happen. And it's just inspiring to be able to stay one step ahead. That's good, man. I know that, uh, when you have a brand and you have the eyeballs and you're making the impact and you have a team for me, you know, and, and we're nowhere near the impact that you guys have, but I, that weighs on me sometimes, even when I'm staying within my, my vision, my passion, my purpose, my mission, um, how do you handle that as you see, as you take on some of those pressures, having a creative background, staying creative, staying fresh, but also having people that depend on you, a brand, ambassadors, everything that you're doing to make a stamp on the world? Yeah, I think there's just a little belief. Uh, I think for me personally, it was a belief that said, uh, all we can do is just, just, just go for it, just charge it. You know, there's no playbook. Don't expect uh, anything to be written down. Definitely don't expect uh, to be able to follow anything you've done before. So it was kind of like anybody that was on board with Stance had to be able to realize that the future was unwritten and we don't necessarily have a playbook. And you got to believe in what this could be and just trust the crew putting it together. And hopefully there was enough track record at the beginning of us being able to be disruptors or do something different or do something that somebody could believe in that would allow them to have faith in us for the future. So, you know, there was, there was a lot riding on it. Yeah. You know, the, the, the more it grows, the more momentum it gets also the more serious it gets. Right. Because then there's people and families and kids and things that are relying on stance to be uh, successful and be being a long-term viable company. So I think in the beginning, there's definitely more risks taken. There's much more of a, a maverick entrepreneur attitude in the beginning, the early, early stages. And that's part of the fun, but inevitably as you grow, there has to be a slightly more conservative touch put on it. Uh, not to, not to ruin the spirit of the brand, but just because the stakes are that much higher and uh, the risk reward can pay off, but there's also a lot at stake and you don't want to jeopardize anything that you've built as well, because that's not fair to anybody who's either invested or worked on the company. You don't want to, work for three, five, seven years, and then do something crazy just because you think you're a complete maverick. And then it, it pulls it all away. Yeah. And well, you guys have found that balance. Like I said, from the outside looking in, you found that balance, you've set the golden standard and it's not just with the brand culture and, 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 uh, the look and feel, which has been awesome. You've set a standard there, but you've also, the performance of the product is great, man. I mean, it really yeah. is. It's not just a cool looking product. It also yeah. fits great, feels great. Yeah, good. I mean, that was one of the premises in the beginning that there, there's both sides of the coin. There's always an art and science piece. And just as there was room for innovation on the brand development side and the creative, there was a lot of room for innovation on the product side. And so luckily we were able to work with the best innovators, sock scientists, uh, material specialists, uh, and really get into the fabrication, the build. We learned a little bit along the way, but being able to 
have a direct relationship with the factory and being able to invest in a team that would just understand the material sciences and be able to fine tune the knitting machines and be able to create something that was dreamt up. That was a real, real gift. A lot of times people building socks are just sending a tech pack in the email somewhere to somebody somewhere and getting a sample back in three weeks and calling it good. And there's not a whole lot of innovation that goes into it. Yeah, because if you guys wouldn't have put that innovation in, it would have been harder to get those pro athletes on the on the other professional sports as well. Huh? Yeah, 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 yeah. We had to be legit. You know, the NBA in particular was you have to get through the – in order for the NBA to endorse it, the players and the trainers all have to endorse and sign off on the product. And they were really good. I think they're, they take care of their players by not forcing anything on them, especially from an equipment point of view whether it's the ball or, or whatever, they all do their own shoes and that, and that stuff. But socks in particular, they weren't going to force anybody to wear anything unless they loved it. And that was new for the category because technically the, the basketball players had the jersey and the shorts as the only mandated piece of equipment. And after that, shoes and the ball and the socks were accessories. So there was individual uh, endorsements or preferences that the players had. So for the first time when Stance became the official sock of the NBA, uh, in order for the NBA to sign off on that, the players and the trainers had to make sure they, they loved it. So, yeah, we had a, a considerable process around building specific product for basketball, number one, all the characteristics of a basketball sock, whether it was cushion or moisture wicking or um, compression, whatever went into it, we went through all those product gyrations to find the right fit and then it went through the testing with the trainers and the players and then the endorsement from the NBA so that was that was a nice step in the sequence for us and then just by legitimizing ourselves as a performance sock company as well you know we had the fashion down pretty pretty well before the sports stuff came out uh, but by nailing down the NBA and investing in that relationship and making that work, it also opened the doors for uh, MLB and the baseball and some of the other ones that wanted to do the same type of arrangement that basketball had. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And, and just because your culture is tight, because your brand is tight from the beginning, and, and I think this is probably translates even now probably for people in the big sports, but uh, you feel like you're a part of something when you – where when you're a stance when you wear stance you feel like you're yeah. uh a part of a a movement a part of something different and and seeing it once it goes to nba or mlb or anything like that it's a cool feeling so you guys have yeah. done a really good job as you grow to continue to make that feeling for your for your end users yeah yeah great uh, I mean, i think that's the power of the brand power of the uh being part of the company you know we're inclusive and we want to you know, gather as many fans that want to join our party, but we want to, the, the hardest balance is maintaining an, an element of inclusivity all the while saying, hey, there's something special about not being a complete mass marketed brand. So that's probably the, the greatest brand tension there as growth happens is how to navigate that fine line and keep people having the feeling that you just described all the while the brand and uh, the company is still growing. 
Are you ready to go into the fray? The Ironclad team specializes in developing films, online series, and content for the world's greatest brands, organizations, and outlets. Now, we're taking you to some of the most beautiful and most dangerous places on Earth. Go behind the scenes with the world's most cutting-edge filmmakers in Ironclad's new video series, Into the Fray. Each installment takes you on some of the world's most exotic locations to meet adventurers, inventors, warriors, and real-life heroes who've dedicated themselves to forging new paths. We utilize some insane equipment and some insane storytelling tactics to make these things happen and ultimately bring you stories that haven't been told before. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Instagram at This Is Ironclad to make sure that you never miss an episode. And remember, new installments drop every Friday afternoon. Adventure beckons. Will you come? We're going to shift into another section here, and this is my favorite section, and, and especially coming from a guy like you whose background is creative and then is brought into entrepreneurship and ultimately leadership. Um this is one of my favorite sections, and, and we just love taking on the insight of, of people who have just made it happen. So uh, this, this is basically the pass it on ra- uh, round where we just kind of ask you some hot seat questions and yeah. hear you out. Uh, great. So what would you say the best advice you've ever received is? I think I'm going to go back to the beginning, the, the little point that I mentioned earlier, and it was if you never take the chance, you'll never know what it could be. And if you take the chance and it doesn't work, you're not down and out. You're not done. You're not over. You simply go back to where you were before you took the chance. And that little, little piece is really the one that pushed me over the edge to say, huh, it's actually okay to um, take a chance here and see what happens, especially if it's something you believe in. It's good stuff. Um, what's one thing you think a person should do every day? I think they should decide what is important to them and be present and live in the moment and accomplish that, but at the same time have some structure that allows them to think towards the future and plan for some of the larger aspects of life. Nice. Um, so this one is is one that uh, – happens to me often you know I get in the zone I start going and uh, I believe in what I'm doing but sometimes anxiety or fear will creep in especially when there's high stakes Mm -hmm. what do you do in those situations when the stakes are high I look for advice from mentors from anybody who's been there before and anyone who I admire that I think has gone through the same sequence and has come out unscathed and look for the advice before I make my own decision. That's good. Um, What's an attribute every leader should foster in themselves? Uh, Every leader should be able to, they should be able to do or accomplish anything they ask their crew to do. And in some cases be willing to do it alongside them at the same time. Good, man. That's a good one. So this one is good because your background is creative and and oftentimes creatives and discipline don't necessarily run side by side, but you have to be disciplined in order to succeed. So um, what's the best way to stay disciplined and balance the creativity at the same time? Yeah, I think um, 
the discipline for me personally is usually around time or time management. And the hardest part is, the, you know, we used to talk about this all the time at stands, and it was a, kind of one of my personal challenges was the realization that for me, the creative process is, is nonlinear. It's not always sequential and it's not always on a time frame. There's deadlines and there's deliverables that has to happen. And the, you know, the operational side of the business can't always wait, but the best advice is to be able to understand that that's how the best creative works and just plan for it. So whether it's soft deadlines and hard deadlines, whether it's just allowing for enough time, whether it's fostering an environment that doesn't uh, put up with, with procrastination, because that's different. Um, but, the, you know, the best advice is to be able to just plan a, a work cycle or a sequence that plays to the strengths of the team or the individual, but realizes that magic doesn't happen in, in an order or a sequence all the time. And I believe that, you know, some of the s- struggles or pains that Stance went through with some of that, it actually, in the end, delivered the best results that set up the foundation for the company to be successful long-term. That's awesome, man. And it's awesome how that happens. I love hearing that. And that's uh, huge. And, and discipline uh, and lessons are, are good for us all. So I, I love hearing that. Um, so what would you tell a young listener who wants to make an impact, but doesn't know where to start? Uh, I would say, uh, first is practice and hone your craft, decide what you want to do or what you want to be, uh, leave some room open to explore a little bit, but you've, you've got to put in the time you've got to, listen you've got to find a a mentor or somebody that'll help you along the way uh formal education is great but you know real life experience is is probably more meaningful in a from a a creative point of view i think um and also kind of let the water run down the mountain and and decide where it's going to go don't be so set in your ways that you're not uh open to new ideas. If you would ask me, would you have founded and started and been part of the socks only brand for 10 years? You know, when I was 20 years old, I would have said, no way. What's that? Right. But there's a little bit of open-mindedness, uh, that allowed it to happen. And, uh, creativity was applied and, and, and we came out in a good spot. That's great. Um, you brought up mentors a couple times. Uh, how important is having a mentor, and where would you find one? Uh, you know, I think it's I think it's invaluable. And uh, what I've found is, you know, at different phases along the way, sometimes there's more of a concentrated reliance on someone like that. Other times, you're you're on your own, or you are uh, discovering new ground on your own, and that's important as well. You can't have somebody holding your hand the entire way or only doing what somebody's going to tell you. Part of the magic is being able to apply what you've learned and you thought, and sometimes you need to fly a little blind because that's when the breakthroughs occur. Uh, you know, it can, it can come from all over. It can, uh, mentors can come from uh, looking at your field and people you admire. Uh, and I think you'd be surprised at a cold call or even an email, if it's sincere or in the right direction, isn't going to go unseen sometimes it's unanswered but 
if you apply yourself that way, uh, you know, that's, that's one way to do it. And I think there's people out there that are impressed by those that are taking their career into their own hands and being proactive in that way and, and going out on a limb and just straight up finding somebody they, they look to and admire and, and give them a call. They can come through anywhere you went to school. They can come through professional organizations. They can come through people at other companies. Uh, and there's also value in seeking advice and guidance from those that are outside of your industry, but may have a perspective uh, or an example or a situation that would apply to your world, even if it's from an entirely unrelated career. When you're on the road as much as us, and you are in every scenario under the sun, from freezing cold conditions to uber hot conditions in Death Valley, you want batteries that will perform for you. For us, it's Core. It's the only option. And they have a new battery out called the HyperCore Neo. I'm gonna have to read the bullet points on this thing because it's so crazy. But I promise you, we've used it in the field and it's transformed the game. It's less battery swap outs, more durable, more options than ever before. So it's TSA pre-check, it's RFID, it's rubberized. It's got a USB so you can charge your phone. You can plug in accessories. You can do anything from there. It's got hibernation mode on it. It's a high current delivery, which is a new feature. And ultimately, it communicates with the camera. This battery is insane. Core has always taken care of us. We're ironclad and we're core driven. All right. This one's my favorite. Okay. And, and, and it's, it, it might be a little bit challenged to come up with off the top of your head. But at the end of every episode, I ask this. And um, if you had to issue a one-week challenge to our listeners that would mm -hmm. impact their lives, what would it be? Oh, I would challenge them to do an audio book a day on a subject that pertained to various aspects of their lives. Do a personal one, do a business one, do a recreational one, and uh, just draw from the brilliant minds that are out there and people that have taken the time to put their thoughts to words and then voice their um their expertise on a subject matter do an entertaining one a nice work of fiction and just open your mind that way great stuff man great stuff that was it man i appreciate okay. everything we're uh, like i said i can't say this enough we are big fans here of the brand everyone here is is stance wears um and it's a it's a lifestyle i, I promise it, it is something every, your creativity and the brand efforts that you've put in it is something that we take pride in wearing, and uh, I couldn't see myself wearing something else. And it's, it's weird to say about uh, a, a, anything, right? But it's it's the reality. It's 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 something that translates um, one through a great product, and two through a great brand and and um, messaging. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks. That's a nice compliment. Yeah, man. Well, thanks for everything. Okay, great. No worries. Uh, thanks for uh, having me on, and looking forward to seeing the piece. Thanks for joining us on the Ironclad podcast. As always, follow us on Instagram at This Is Ironclad or subscribe to us on YouTube, youtube.com slash This Is Ironclad. Leave a comment, subscribe. Thanks.